Hi, we're in uh, Leviticus 15, 16 through 24. If any man has an emission of semen, then he shall wash all his body in water and be unclean until evening. And any garment and any leather on which there is semen, it shall be washed with water and be unclean until evening. Also when a woman lies with a man and there is an emission of semen, they shall bathe in water and be unclean until evening. If a woman has a discharge, and the discharge from her body is blood, she shall be set apart seven days, and whoever touches her shall be unclean until evening. Everything that she lies on during her impurity shall be unclean. Also everything that she sits on shall be unclean. Whoever touches her bid shall wash his clothes and bathe in water, and be unclean until evening. And whoever touches anything that she sat on shall wash his clothes, and bathe in water, and be unclean until evening. If anything is on her bed, or on anything on which she sits, when he touches it, he shall be unclean until evening. And if any man lies with her at all, so that her impurity is on him, he shall be unclean seven days, and every bed on which he lies shall be unclean. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you give uh, every word in your scripture to glorify your name, to instruct the church, so we can teach one another uh, to better glorify you, to better work together as a body. We pray as we go through this passage that your name would be uplifted and glorified. You give Mr. Horn wisdom and strength through your spirit to speak the truths that we need to hear so that we can apply this passage correctly and understand uh, why you have it in Scripture. We thank you that you are a merciful and just God who, um, who gives us what we need. That these were not mistakes, these words were written because you commanded them to be there and you desired for them to be there. Uh, give us the wisdom we need. In Christ's name, amen. Now we come to this passage of scripture that deals with things that that we don't talk about normally in our so-called civil society, these these topics that are taboo. But it's important to remember that this is pointing to the gospel. It's easy to read a passage like this and think, what does it have to do with Christ? What does it have to do with redemption? And not just the cleanness, because there's all kinds of things about leprosy and other uncleanness, but specifically about Christ. It's worth tying this to Leviticus 12. Remember in Leviticus 12, it talks about the woman being unclean, that after she gives birth, that she's unclean either for 40 days or 80 days, depending on if she has a male child or a female child. And this passage is about a woman being unclean during her menstrual cycle. She doesn't normally have a flow of blood while she's pregnant, but if she's not and she's full grown, she has this period of uncleanness that comes month by month. So what does this have to do with Christ? Well, it tells us a few things that we find out later, but they're foreshadowed here. We know in order for 
the Messiah for Christ to take the unclean and make them clean, he must be clean. If women become unclean every month, he can't be a woman. This is pretty basic, and it's also pretty obvious from this passage that it is saying the Messiah has to be a man. And secondly, it points out that the Messiah can't come from the seed of a man. Because when a man, there's an omission of semen, and that word semen there is really seed. It can't come from the seed of a man, because if it comes from the seed of a man, that is a defiling act right there. That produces uncleanness. So when we read this, we should recognize this is telling us things about the requirements for what Christ has to be. The seed of the man makes both the woman and the man unclean. So for the baby to be clean and for the mother of the child to be clean, the Messiah could not be produced by the normal process. And obviously God had already foreshadowed this back in Genesis 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the same word that's translated, translated semen in this passage is that word seed. And it's her seed. Women don't have seed. Men have seed. Women have eggs. But yet, it says her seed, which again, from the beginning it was pointed out, the Christ must come from a different means than the normal means. Because it's her seed. Not his seed. And so this is just God further developing, further pointing out what he pointed out back to Adam and to Eve. I'm not saying that they would have known this and that they would have interpreted it, but we should recognize just how consistent God's revelation is over thousands of years. Because he, he wrote that, what he said in Genesis. And then he writes this, and he writes it in the law, that basically the implication of the law is that that the child has to be born, not through the normal insemination by a man. And then so he writes in Isaiah, 700 years after that, in Isaiah 7, 14 through 16, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Curds and honey he shall eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land you dread will be forsaken by both her kings. So when Isaiah writes in Emmanuel, God with us, that he has to be born of a virgin, that completely connects to Genesis 3.15. That completely connects to Leviticus 12. That completely connects to Leviticus 15. God is laying out progressively his revelation So then when we read of the conception of Christ, this shouldn't be a a shock. This is what was required based on the law. This is what was required based on the promise of God that was made to Adam, the promise of God that was made to Isaiah in Luke 30 through 35. Luke 1, 30 through 35. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. And shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. 
And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. This is the fulfillment from the first day of the fall. This all ties together. It ties together through the law. All these things are connected together so that we can understand God's revelation and that God is consistent in all of it. He knows the end from the beginning. And so as we take this passage and deal with this passage, we need to recognize that this is the nature of man. The nature of man is to spread his sin around. The nature of man is to cause the uncleanness to go from one thing to another. And so we need Christ, who doesn't have that nature, who doesn't have the nature of sin, so that, that Christ can take the unclean and make it clean, which is what this passage is really about, our need for Christ. So verses 16 through 18. If any man has an omission of semen, then he shall wash all his body in water and be unclean until evening. In any garment and any leather on which there is semen, it shall be washed with water and be unclean until evening. Also, when a woman lies with a man and there is an omission of semen, they shall bathe in water and be unclean until evening. So if any man, the first part starts with, the first part of the chapter starts with dealing with sexually transmitted diseases. So now we come to what is a normal part of being an adult male. STDs are typically rooted in sin. Maybe not your sin. It could be your partner's sin. But the spread of STDs is rooted in sin. But having an omission of semen, and that word semen is the Hebrew word for seed. So the picture is the same as in Isaiah 64, 4 through 6. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard, nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God beside you, who acts for the one who waits for him. You, will meet, you meet him who rejoices and does righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. You are indeed angry, for we have sinned. In these ways we continue. We need to be saved. But we are all like an unclean thing, and all of our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. This is the picture of our, our righteousness. Our righteousness makes us unclean. It is not unrighteous for a man to lie with his wife. There is no sin in a man lying with his wife. The Bible is clear that the marriage bed is not defiled. But yet, it is defiling the picture of sin, the picture of uncleanness. It's not because it is actual sin, but the picture is that it causes uncleanness. And it's this picture that all our works are filthy rags. All our works are like menstrual cloths. All these things that come out of man, all they do is defile. Our work only becomes fruitful when God changes our work. It only becomes fruitful when we have a heart that desires to obey God. 
even our righteous acts, even the things that we're not doing in, in sin, we still cause sin, sin to, to spread through the world. When we do anything according to our flesh, it is unclean. It's fleshly and it steals glory from God, even when it's the right thing to do. It's not done for the purpose of glorifying God. It makes unclean. We need to see all the works of our flesh as unclean. That's not how cleanness is produced. We can never produce cleanness through the works of our flesh. That requires God. It's only through Christ. It's only through God working in us that our deeds can become righteous, that our deeds can be cleansing rather than defiling. The works of our flesh, we need to see the works of our flesh as unclean. And so if any man has an omission of semen, then he shall wash. He needs to be cleansed from it. The works of our flesh need to be cleansed. He shall wash all his body in water. Notice it's all of the body. It's not just where the semen had contact. Because this is not about copulation. This is about, this is about the, the, the picture of being unclean, the picture of being a sinner. This is about the flesh of man needs to be changed. It needs to be cleansed. As Paul says in Romans 7.18, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. That's the picture of this. The picture of this is in our flesh, in the works of our flesh, they can never produce righteousness. All they can do is produce uncleanness. Even when we're doing the right thing. So as we go throughout this, we need to see the symbolism in the statements. This is not about health. If it was about health, you'd only have to wash the parts that touch semen. It's not about health. This is about symbolism. It's symbolizing sin. It's symbolizing the nature of sin. It's symbolizing what it means to be clean and what you need to do to be clean. So be washed and be unclean until evening. Even though they were physically clean, they still needed to wait until evening. Because it's a picture that all of sin is really only taken away at the end of the day the end of time, the end of the age when Christ returns and corruption puts on incorruption. That's the only time that all our uncleanness will be removed. Remember what that means when you see this picture. It means that people would know if the law was followed. When you had relations with your wife, which clearly are not sinful, indeed they're commanded in 1 Corinthians 7, 2 through 5, Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer. And come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So you're commanded to have relations, but when you had relations, you become unclean. And so this is not about saying that it's unlawful, that it's sinful for a man to, to lay with his wife. Marital relations are not sinful. Hebrews 13.4, marriage is honorable among all. 
and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will, adulterers God will judge. This isn't about saying that sexual relations with your wife, which, which the Roman Catholic Church for a long time held that position. But it's not saying that that's, that's sin. And so while the uncleanness is a picture of sin, it doesn't mean that it is sin. So this is to create what the picture of sin looks like. So the, all the person must be washed in water because it's about the works of the flesh. It's about that, that he does something that's out of his own strength. He does something that's out of his, out of his nature. And that spreads sin. That doesn't spread righteousness. We need a new nature. We need to be born again. So he's unclean until evening in any garment and any leather on which there is semen. Again, there's a picture that the whole body is defiled, but the works of the flesh, that defiles more than that. When we do the works of the flesh, we also need to clean up the damage that we do because it, it damages and makes other things unclean, makes inanimate objects unth- unclean. Even when we do it in sincerity, even when we do it thinking that it's a good thing, even when it's in alignment with the commandments of God, if it's out of our flesh, it spreads uncleanness. It has to be out of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit of God, for it not to spread uncleanness. It has to be done out of faith. So we have to go back. We have to go back. Any garment, any letter, leather on which there is semen... If we soil something through the works of the flesh, it has to be washed. The soiling has to be removed. It shall be washed with water. Again, water is a picture of the Word of God. The way to clean up a mess is through the application of the Word of God. If you did something in your flesh, rather than to bring glory to God, going back to the Word of God is the way to cleanse it. And be unclean until evening. So just like the person, it will never truly be clean until Christ returns. The objects won't be clean either until Christ returns and he purges creation with fire. In all our work, there's an aspect that it is done in the flesh. Whatever we do for God, whatever we do with the most sincere heart, whatever we do with, there's always an element of hesitancy where we didn't do it as quickly as we should have or laziness or or that we did it for our own pride, for our own self-glory. And as much as we try to clean up our works, our works will never be perfect. Our works will never be without sin. So it requires one who is perfectly clean to cleanse our works. So also when when a woman lies with a man, again, this could be in sin, it could be fornication, it could be adultery. But the most typical context is, it's a righteous context. It's a man lying with his wife. But even in that relationship between a husband and wife where there's no sin involved, it still makes one unclean. It's still a work of the flesh where there's an omission of semen. When normal marital relationships happen, they still need to wash, they still need to bathe in water, they still need to be cleansed from the things of this world. You know, Paul says that better to marry than to burn. 
that the burning of the flesh, that desire to marry, that desire to fulfill, that's a natural desire. It's how God causes the world to be populated. It's how the fulfillment to be fruitful and multiply is fulfilled. But at the same time, it's a work of the flesh. And so there needs to be bathing. Bathing in the water of the word. Being washed by God so that we're doing things in his way and not in the strength of our flesh. And be unclean until evening. They're still unclean. This is an interesting point because it's raised a few times. Like when David goes to get the sword of Goliath and when he's fleeing from before Saul. And he takes the showbread and the priest says, you can only take this if the men with you have not laid with a woman. And the same with Moses before he enters into covenant with God in Exodus 24. He says, stay away from your wives for three days to prepare. All these things are pictures about how you have to put to death the work of the flesh to be able to approach God. You have to put to... In, and it's not sinful to lay with your wife. But the point is, is that you have to separate yourself from the flesh in order to approach God, in order to touch his holy things, in order to touch his showbread that was in the, the temple, in order to enter into covenant with God. And that also applies to serving in the temple. That when you serve in the temple, you have to be clean. And so the, person, the priest who lays with his wife... He can't serve in the temple that day. That's in violation. He can't approach God. He has to be separate. He's unclean. So a priest would be required to declare himself unable to serve in the capacity of, a ch- of the priest if he had relations with his wife. Now, we now have private bathrooms in our houses so that no one would know that we were bathing. But that's a new development. People would have known So we're probably a lot more shy about these things than in Israel. God's plan was that it would be well known. It would be well known that when a husband had relationships with his wife because they'd have to go wash. And so you could hold people accountable to these things because it's required for a husband to lay with his wife. These are things that that are supposed to happen. And God doesn't go, it's shameful. Yes, the nudity is shameful. It's a picture of, not between the husband and the wife, but between them and the world. Because it's a picture of the relationship that we have with Christ, and he's the only one that knows us with that level of intimacy. But it doesn't mean that having that level of intimacy is supposed to be hidden. It would have been much more known. And this also explains, like... like Zacharias, with John the Baptist, says in Luke 1, 23 and 24, So it was as soon as the days of his service were completed that he departed to his own house. After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months. Because he couldn't have relations while he was, while he was serving in the tabernacle. While he was trimming the light, while he was putting in the showbread, while he was doing those sacrifices... He couldn't have relationship with his wife, so Elizabeth couldn't have conceived. If he was a righteous man, she couldn't have conceived until he went back home, until the days of his service were over. Verses 19 through 23. If a woman has a discharge, and that the discharge from her body is blood, she shall be set apart seven days. 
and whoever touches her shall be unclean until evening. Everything that she lies on during her impurity shall be unclean. Also everything that she sits on shall be unclean. Whoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And whoever touches anything that she sat on shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. If anything is on her bed or anything on which she sits, when he touches it, he shall be unclean until evening. So if a woman has a discharge, so just as the omission of semen is not inherently sinful, but it's still made one unclean, a woman having her menstrual cycle is not sinful. It's natural, but it also is related to the curse, since it's related to childbearing. So when a woman has her monthly cycle because she's not pregnant, that makes her unclean. It's a picture of total depravity. Sinfulness is in our very nature. It's not our acts that make us sinful. It's our sin nature that drives our acts, that drives us to sin, so that sin taints everything. It's from what comes out of us. That's what makes unclean. So if a woman has a discharge and the discharge from her body is blood. So this is saying when it's a healthy, normal thing. Not when it's caused by some abnormality. She's still unclean. She is still to be set apart. That word translated set apart literally means rejection. She's to be rejected. And so what is she rejected from is the question. It's not from the camp. She doesn't need to go outside the camp. What she's rejected from is the presence of God. She's not allowed to go in the courtyard of the tabernacle. She's also rejected from from sharing a bed with her husband because she can't lie on the same bed with her husband. Which is, again, these are all tied to the picture of the gospel. We can't think that we can draw near to Christ when we're defiled. He doesn't say, come to me. He says, repent. He says, repent and come to me. This is how you draw near to God, as you repent. Sin drives you apart. Sin separates you from God. So she's not allowed to go into the courtyard of the tabernacle. And we'll see in the verses ahead, she's rejected from sharing a bed with her husband. All this is a picture of the separation of the individual from Christ, but also from the church from Christ. Remember the woman, Ephesians 5, the woman is a picture of the church of Jesus Christ. And there are seasons where the church is defiled, where it's unclean, where it goes through seasons. And I would argue that we're in a season like that right now in the American church, where the American church is unclean. Doesn't mean it's not still the church. Doesn't mean it's not still the bride of Christ. But it does it is unclean. And so it does create separation. Separation from God. And for seven days it's a fixed period. Even if the discharge stops before that, it doesn't matter. The length of the uncleanness doesn't change. It's always seven days. A picture of completeness, a picture of total depravity. And whoever touches her, the uncleanness that comes out of her, even though it's not directly related to sin. It's still defiling. What comes out of us by nature, by our nature, defiles those around us. That's important for us to recognize. It's so easy to think that, yeah, but I'm, I'm a good person. No, you're not. You defile everything, is what God says. 
What comes out of us by nature is defiling. It's only through the work of Christ that we don't spread sin like leaven. And so whoever touches her shall be unclean until evening. It's all, they're also affected by, by the sin just by touching her, just by coming in contact with her. doesn't mean they don't need to, that they need to examine their deeds. It doesn't mean that they need to wash themselves. But they are affected. We affect one another. Even when it's just bare contact, even when there's very little contact between us, we still affect one another. We need to recognize how easily sin spreads. And remember that this would also apply to the nursing infant. The mother's menstrual cycle started again before she stopped nursing. These rules would apply to the child. This would affect the child. The child would be unclean if they touched their mother. And everything she lies on, again, just like with the man who had the STD, Anything that she lies on, her uncleanness even affects inanimate objects. The place where she lied down is now unclean and can spread uncleanness. It's the picture of the sin of Adam. The sin of Adam, it affects the whole world. It affects inanimate objects. It doesn't just affect living things. It doesn't just affect humans. It affects every living creature. It affects every inanimate object. All of it needs to be cleansed. All of it needs to be purified. All of it needs to be purged which is what Christ came to do. As he died so that his enemies could be made as footstools and that he could come back and defeat the last enemy, which is death. He could come back and remove all the corruption. He will come back and he will make everything clean through fire when he judges the heavens and the earth. So everything she lies on during her impurity, that word translated impurity is the same as set apart before. It's more literally a rejection or a separation. Separation is caused by her impurity, so I'm not saying that it's a bad translation, but it's, it's not the literal meaning of the word, it's the figurative meaning of the word. So it's anything that is on the bed that she touches shall be unclean. The bed or the couch that she lies on is unclean. And everything she sits on, also everything she sits on, if she sits on something, it becomes unclean. If you're a person who's actually listening to the law and you're concerned about being unclean, think how much you'd have to reorder your household. For a week, a month, you'd have to have different chairs, chairs set aside. You have to have a different bed. It's interesting. I've been in Jewish homes before. In Jewish homes, they have two sets of plates. They They have two sets of dishes one for meat and one for milk and they like their stove they cover it up and they do all these things and it's all ridiculous because it's a twisting of the law but what you don't see them doing in jewish households is having two beds for the time that she's in her menstrual cycle and when she's not you don't see them having different chairs that they sit on during the menstrual cycle and when they're not but that's actually what's biblically commanded When you go into a Jewish household because of how they've twisted and perverted the dietary laws, their household is completely reordered. But this is saying how it's supposed to be reordered. And it's all a picture of sin. Because of sin, we're supposed to reorder our household. We're supposed to be willing to say, well, I need a different bed because 
there's sin here. I need to do this differently and I need to do that differently. We need to be willing to sacrifice because that's the picture. You have to reorder everything to deal with sin. Because we're not dealing with the picture anymore. We're dealing with the reality. We have to be willing to reorder whatever it takes to deal with sin. Think about how much it would give an awareness. It would give this real awareness to everybody. It would be giving a real awareness to the children that grow up. That, that this uncleanness thing is a big deal. This affects everything. We tend to not look at sin and treat sin as having that big of an effect. As opposed to it affecting everything. Even when we try to do things righteously, that it still spreads sin. Everything she sits on, it becomes unclean. With an uncleanness, it can spread. That's our nature, to spread sin. That's why we need to be born again. But even then, it's why we need to be watchful, always being careful that we're not defiled, always washing our hands and our feet, to use the the picture from the laver in the tabernacle. We always need to recognize how easy it is for us to be defiled by the works of the flesh. How easy it is for us to respond to people walking in the flesh by our walking in the flesh. Sin is very contagious. We need to be constantly on guard against responding to sin with sin. And whoever touches her bed, whoever makes contact, even with the bed that she lied down in, this is a picture of her spreading the sin without her intentionally doing anything. She was just sleeping there. She was just lying down to rest. But it still makes an uncleanness that is contagious, that spreads. They become unclean. Again, think of the disruption because this is a picture of sin. This is the disruption that sin causes. The husband and wife can't share the same bed during that period. He can't even touch the bed on which his wife laid down. He does, he shall wash his clothes. This is different than just touching her. Just touching her, you were just unclean until evening. But touching where she laid, touching where she typically would have had a long contact, that was more contaminating than just touching her. So he had to bear the picture of cleansing his deeds, making sure that he was not affected by the results of her sin nature. And to bathe in water, again, he needed to bathe his body in water, this picture of of washing yourself in the water of the word. <coughs> Remember, this is all about how, how defiling sin is, how easily we get defiled by sin. You come in contact with something that was in contact with it. You get it from that. It defiles you. It affects what you do. It changes your decisions. And so it needs to be cleansed from you. And you're still unclean until evening. You can never be made completely clean. The sin surrounds us. It continues to separate us from God. If we, if we were in the presence of God right now, even with the Holy Spirit, even after being born again, our sin would destroy us. We need to be made perfectly clean, and that's only will be done when Christ returns and corruption puts on incorruption. Anything else we do will never be enough. We need Christ to, put on, to cause us to put on incorruption. We can never purify ourselves. We're always commanded to purify ourselves, but we can never purify ourselves to the point that we would be fit for the presence of God. 
That is God's work and God's work alone. That's only through the work of Christ that we can be fully and truly made clean. And that's what he'll do. That's what he promises he will do for those who are saved when he returns. That's what he promises he will do. And so if anybody touches anything that she sat on, it's not just what she lays on, but what she sits on. The picture of the bed is the picture of her not even doing anything and her impurity spreads. This is a picture of when she sits, probably to do something. It still spreads. It spreads that way as well. The only way that impurity doesn't spread is when she's up and about. When she rests on a chair, whatever she sat on, it becomes defiled. And the person who touches it shall wash his clothes with and bathe in water. They're still affected by it. They still need to deal with the fact that they're affected by it. We're affected by each other. We always need to be examining how we're using other people's behavior. Is it to exhort each other to love and to good works? Is it exhort each other to righteousness? Or are we looking at other people's examples and embracing their sin because, because they say it's okay? We should always realize just how easy it is for sin to spread. How easy it is for us to, to lie and deceive ourselves and for the will that's in our flesh to overcome the will that's in our mind. The will that was given to us by the Holy Spirit writing his law in our hearts and our minds. We should never deceive ourselves with how easy it is to follow after sin. We need to make sure that we're not affecting each other by following sin instead of exhorting to righteousness. And then still be unclean until evening. They still need to be cleansed. We can never wash ourselves sufficiently. Because when we wash ourselves, we still have uncleanness. We can never get rid of it because we're not clean. And if anything is on our bed, this is even another level of indirection. It's not just the bed that becomes unclean. It's the things that rest on the bed. Not just linens, but something that's put there. You lay a package on your bed. Now anybody that touches that package, they become unclean. That's how easily sin spreads. That's... That's the picture that we have to see here. How easy it is to spread sin. Or if you lay anything on, anything in which she sits, it's the same as if she sat on it. Resting something upon that chair, that's enough to make it unclean. When he touches it, when anyone touches it, they become unclean. It's the picture of sin spreading through the world. Through the nature of people, without deliberate work, it will just continue to spread. It just spreads from one to another. Our deeds cause other people to sin. And the corruption affects inanimate objects. It affects every living being. Death went through the whole world, not just to man. This is the picture about how pernicious it is, the spreading of sin. And we should not think that changed. That's still true. But Christ did come and he did, he did create a people who would be different. So whoever touches it will be unclean until evening. The whole world needs to be purged of sin, which Christ will do when he comes and purges the world with fire and make a, the heavens and earth. He'll purge them with fire and make the new heavens and the new earth. And then it will be clean. Verse 24, if any man lies with her at all so that her impurity is on him, 
He shall be unclean seven days, and every bed on which he lies shall be unclean. So if any man lies with her at all, it's translated lies with her at all, because in Hebrew the word lies is doubled. But I think that what it's really indicating by doubling that word is this isn't just lying on the same bed with her. This is, this is having sexual relations with her. And so if you have sexual relations, if a man just slept in the same bed with his wife during her menstrual period, he would just be unclean for that day. But if he had relations with his wife, then that impurity lasts longer. And we need to harmonize that verse with Leviticus 20, verse 18. If a man lies with a woman during her sickness and uncovers her nakedness, he has exposed her flow. And she has uncovered the flow of her blood. Both of them shall be cut off from their people. And so these are both true. In one case, it says you're impure for seven days. In the other case, it says you should be put to death. A pretty serious difference. But I think this passage is that you didn't know. The menstrual cycle can start without people knowing. And so you could lay with your wife and the period could start and you're unclean for seven days. But if you intentionally lay with your wife or lay with a woman or a woman intentionally lays with a man when she knows that she has that she's in the middle of her menstrual cycle, then it's a death penalty offense. That's how serious God wants us to understand sin is in this picture of sin. So here I think it's, well, in Leviticus 20.18, I think it's when they're aware and they choose to not constrain their flesh. They cannot constrain the lusts of their flesh even though she's in the midst of her menstrual cycle. But here it's where it's unintentional. It's not apathy, it's not intentional. And again, where it says cut off, that language is used other places to mean put to death. But here, if it's unintentional, it's still serious, it still has effects, but it's not a death penalty offense. So if any man lies with her at all so that her impurity is on him, again, that word translated impurity is the same word that's about rejection. And so the picture is that that the person who joins the church when the church is defiled, when it's filled with sin, that person will really be affected by that sin. He'll really be affected by the false doctrine. Even when he realizes that it's false doctrine, he'll still really be affected by it. He'll really be affected by, you know, you read the the you read in Revelation two and three. And you read about the defiling things in those churches, that still affects us. So he'll be unclean seven days. It's just, just not the uncleanness for the day. This uncleanness continues, it has a long term effect. It's the same picture of the long-term effect that a woman has at the start of her period. The defilement takes a while to eliminate. And on every bed in which he lies shall be unclean. So his uncleanness, unlike the uncleanness that comes from touching her, or from touching the bed that she lays on, or or touching the chair that she sat on, if he's become joined to her, then her uncleanness spreads through him. The two become one. And any bed that he lays on, it becomes unclean. Just like if he had a venereal disease and someone touched his bed, they would also become unclean. 
So the uncleanness spreads. Let me give you some applications. The first application is we should recognize the fruitfulness of men as sin. You know, the most obvious application of this is the preaching of the gospel. If it's the work of men, men can persuade. People talk people into it all the time. It's really easy to get people to raise their hand. It's easy to get people to pray a prayer. And yet people think that, that people are saved that way. That's not how salvation comes. That's just the spreading of uncleanness. That's the fruitfulness of men. That's men spreading their seed. That doesn't save. You need the seed of Christ to save. The seed of men won't save. If it's the work of man, if it's by persuasion rather than the hearing of the word, then it's unclean. The fruitfulness of man is unclean. The fruitfulness of God is what's required for salvation. You have to be born again. You have to receive the seed of God and not the seed of men. There's so many churches that, that have huge numbers of people at them because of the, the, the vigor of that man, because of his, his zeal, because of his charisma, because of his all these other reasons, and none of that saves. None of that saves. It just defiles. It just makes them unclean. It requires the work of God to be saved. You must be born again. Another application, Christ had to come from a different seed than the seed of men. Man is filled with corruption. Even after being saved, you're no longer in an open rebellion against God. The open rebellion that existed before salvation. But just as Paul says in Romans 7, there's still another will that exists in your members. There's still another will that exists in your flesh. Christ had to come not from the seed of man. He had to come from the seed of God. So he would not have that will in his flesh to sin. Christ could not have come from the seed of man. He had to come from a different seed. He had to come from the seed of God. Or we couldn't be saved. Because otherwise we'd just be spreading uncleanness. Because that's the nature of man, to spread uncleanness. It's the nature of God that he cleanses. Another application, we should expect periodic uncleanness in the church. We often talk about the current state of the church in America, the state of the church in Nigeria, where things have gotten so bad that in both those countries, it's gotten so bad because of how the gospel is preached, because of how bad we are at declaring the truth of who God is, that as a nation we no longer want to remember, retain God in our knowledge, as it says in Romans 1, so he turns us over to... to perverse affections to sodomy to homosexuality and so we should recognize that this isn't unexpected by God that there'll be seasons of uncleanness in the church this is why this is why women have menstrual cycles is so that we remember yes there'll be times when the church is unclean but the other thing that we should remember is it only lasts for a season it doesn't last that long. 
before the church becomes clean again. It might happen through revival. It might happen through persecution. It might happen through both. But God will cleanse his church. The church doesn't remain unclean. The church has seasons of it being unclean, but it doesn't remain unclean. He is preparing his bride. He is washing her in the water of the word. Another application, we should recognize the warning of how extensive the works of the flesh are. It's so easy for us just to cruise through life and not really think about what we're doing, not really examine our actions, not really wash ourselves in the water of the word. Not really say, I have to clean my clothes. I have to make sure that my deeds are righteous. We can just walk through life and go, yeah, I'm doing fine. I'm good. When we're really not good. We actually have to recognize how easily we get, we get defiled by the sins of the flesh. Our works of the flesh are sinful. That's not what Paul says. We are, excuse me. Oh, it's very easy for us not to consider that the, our works of the flesh are sinful. What Paul says in Romans eight twelve through 14, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. If we just go through life and aren't working to put to death the deeds of the flesh, we will die. Uncleanness is all around us. Uncleanness is affecting us. We actually have to do the work to be cleansed. The passive Christian doesn't exist. You have to be putting to death sin or you will die in your sin. God doesn't set the standard that say, just go through life and don't worry about it. He says, go through life and recognize how much the world affects you and how much it causes you to sin. And so the life of the Christian has to be a life of repentance. Another application, these laws are about declaring the sin nature of man. Mark seven eighteen through 20 says, So he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and it is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And he says, what comes out of a man, that defiles a man. That's what this passage is about. It's what comes out of a man, what comes out of a woman, what comes out that's nature. It is about the nature of our sin is it defiles. The nature of our flesh is that it defiles. And they are defiling, not even because of the specific sin. It's because of the nature of man. What comes out of man defiles. And remember that the woman throughout this, we, you know, there's that other level that we should be looking about this. The woman in the menstrual cycle is about her. I mean, she's a picture of the church. So when the church lies down, when it's not about the work that it should be doing, it causes impurity to spread in the world around it. When it lies down, when it and just it focuses on Christ, it's just resting. That's when it that's when the world gets defiled. Because that is impurity. 
The church is supposed to be shining forth the light. You are the salt and the light. And if you're, the salt loses its saltiness, it's not good for anything except to be trampled under the foot of man. When the church lies down in her impurity, the world gets defiled. When the church sits down, even to do things like worship, but it sits down in its errors, it needs to recognize it defiles things. Being wrong, being in sin defiles things. Being unclean. It's so easy to go, but it doesn't matter. And and God's answer is it does matter. Whenever you pray in a way that's not the way you should pray, that's spreading sin. Any way that you worship where you're not out where you're worshiping in a way not that God commanded, that spreads sin. It's not passive, it's not neutral, it's evil. And it's so easy for us to think of these things and think, oh, that's not that bad. And God is saying, no, it's really bad. This is how the world gets filled with sin. This is how it gets filled with evil. Too often we can think, oh, they're worshiping God. Well, it doesn't matter. if they Are they worshiping the true God? You know, it's really easy for those of us who have been to Nigeria. You stand in a place where there's 5,000 people and you just look at what the effects of false doctrine have taught them and how it's destroyed their lives. And their false worship is killing them, literally killing them. And then you walk back here and people go, doctrine doesn't matter. That's because they don't understand. This passage is just about how defiling it is. Lies defile everything around it. False beliefs about God defile everything around it. (coughs) Another application, we need to be aware of how easily we are affected by each other. Very much so in a negative way. Our sin spreads. Our sin spreads even indirectly like in this passage. We do something sinful and other people see it and they use it as an excuse to say, okay, it's, it's okay for me to do that. This is how it works. Sin spreads like leaven. But we shouldn't think righteousness, peace, and joy can't spread the same way. Shining forth the light by walking in righteousness and people see it and they become guilty. They feel the guilt of their own behavior and their behavior changes. The person who has joy and peace, for these things are of the kingdom of heaven. If you have joy and peace, it causes people to... Ask, what's the reason for the hope that is in you? Israel could only make people unclean, but through the work of the Holy Spirit, we can do more than just spread uncleanness. We can actually constrain sin. Remember Ezekiel 36, where he says they're like a, a woman with a, you know, the, cust- the uncleanness of a woman and her customary impurity. So then I poured out my fury on them for the blood they had shed on the land and for their idols with which they had defiled it. So I scattered them among the nations and they were dispersed throughout the countries. I judged them according to their ways and their deeds and they came to the nations wherever they went. They profaned my holy name. When they said of them, these are the people of the Lord and yet they have gone out of his land. This is the picture, right? This is the picture about how, what Israel was like. Israel was this menstruous woman that, that went throughout all the nations and caused all the nations to be deceived as to who God was. But now compare that to the church. Paul says in, in Romans 1, 
verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. In the Old Covenant, Israel just spread sin. They just spread uncleanness. All these laws, they didn't understand that they were really pointing to, they were symbolizing rebellion to God. But now in the New Covenant, we don't just spread uncleanness. We can actually spread cleanness. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. The Old Covenant, there was no hope. In the New Covenant, the world can be cleansed. Not because of our power, but because He has given us the power of the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Holy Spirit was given, as it was promised in Ezekiel 36, to constrain sin, to cause His people to walk in His commandments and His statutes. And being that light and that salt that causes the world, the sin in the world, the uncleanness in the world to fade. We are still sinners. We still have sin in our flesh, but we are also the body of Christ. And the body of Christ, when it comes in contact with things, it cleanses. Christ touched the woman that had the flow of blood for 12 years and it immediately stopped. We shouldn't think that's just Christ. That's what the church is supposed to do. Another application we need to recognize how we're always being made unclean through our contact with the world. So the life of the Christian has to be an examined life. Not one without hope, not saying, oh, I'm just going to keep looking and finding sin. No, I can never turn from sin. Because God says if you confess your sin, he's just and faithful to forgive you your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So we examine our, our lives in hope, in expectation that if we look at our sin, God, will, God is faithful and He's just and He'll forgive us our sin. He'll cleanse us of that sin. So just as they were supposed to wash in water, we're supposed to wash in the water of God's Word and trust that it will actually cleanse us. We can renew our minds. We can repent of our sins. It takes deliberate work. And we're even reminded to do it weekly, but we should be doing it more than weekly. We should be saying, what was my sin today? What should I turn from today? What should I confess today so that God will turn me from that sin? That he'll cleanse me from that unrighteousness? So just as they were to to be washing when they found they were unclean, we're supposed to care if we're unclean and we need to wash. We need to wash our clothes. We need to wash our bodies. Not, not physically wash. We truly need to repent of our sin. We truly need to examine what does God say about these things. And especially before we go and minister before the Lord. Just like before, the, before they went into the tabernacle, they had to wash their hands and feet. We specifically, before we come to worship God, we need to wash our hands and feet. We need to examine ourselves. We need to say, how have I been defiled by the world? Because the world is constantly defiling. How have I been defiled by the world so I can walk in greater righteousness? Not for our sake, but for the name of God, because he came, he sent his spirit so that his name would be made great. So related application to that is when we join a church, it has serious implications on our life. 
If it's a church that accepts and teaches false doctrine, it will defile everyone who joins it. And it will defile them for a long period of time. If they're doing things that are sinful, it will defile them. And it will defile them for a long period of time. Choosing what church you go to has a big, a big impact on what your life is like. Whether it's a life that pleases God or whether it's a life that is spreading uncleanness. In the last application, Israel was to reorder many things to deal with this picture of sin. They would have had areas for women to sit during their menstrual cycle, different beds for them to lie in. And we think of all this restructuring just for ceremonial uncleanness. How much more should we be willing to restructure our lives? How much more willing should we be to put things out of our lives? that cause us to be unclean. To actually avoid real sin and not just the picture of sin. The things that are really an abomination before God instead of just this picture. 1 John 3, 2-3 says, Beloved, now we are the children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him. For we shall see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. The promise of Scripture is that if you have been saved, if you actually have encountered Christ, then you work to turn from sin. You're willing to reorder your life. Jesus Christ says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, for it's better to to enter into heaven with one hand than it is to go to hell. Do we have that attitude towards sin? Because that's the picture here. The picture here is they had to reorder everything to deal with sin. Are you willing to reorder everything to deal with sin? That's what somebody who has their hope in Christ is to be like. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we do thank you for this passage. Lord, let us learn what you would have us to learn from it. Let us be convicted. Let us hear your words and recognize how easily we're tainted. Do not be deceived. It's so easy for us to be deceived that the people around us, that bad company doesn't corrupt us, but you promise that it does. Unless we're deliberate, unless we're active in seeking you, unless we're active in seeking the things that we should be turning from. Lord, help us have to, let us have a greater zeal to be putting death, to be putting to death the sin that's in our members. To see it for what it is. So that instead of spreading uncleanness, like Israel did, where they spread uncleanness to the nations, and like so many people do in the name of Jesus Christ, they spread uncleanness to the nations. Lord, help us to be a people that spread cleanness, because we are truly your body. And your body is holy. Your body is truly an unleavened lump, as it says in 1 Corinthians 5. Lord, have us, give us a zeal, give us a passion, give us a willingness to sacrifice, to be that holy lump. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.